It is really, really good to uh, be with you all again tonight. Um, a week ago, I had um, the privilege of talking with you all about um, about the goodness of God, about why God would have good things to say to us. Um, if you weren't here, I brought up I brought up three points. One that just the nature of God, He is good, so He cannot be anything other than who he is, which is good. So he's going to have good things to say to you. The second was that you are a child of God, which means he's going to have good things to say about you for that reason. You belong to him. He's thrilled with you. He's crazy about you as his son, his daughter. And the third was um, that we're one with him. And, and that goes a lot deeper than our brains are ever going to get a hold of. We're one with him. Therefore, he would never tear us down because he would never tear himself down. Is this making sense? That was a really quick encapsulation of last week. And right in the middle of that, I said something about covenant. And I said, and I said, it's super deep, God's covenant. And, and I even talked about how he shook on a covenant with himself to make sure it couldn't be broken. And I said, I don't have time to unpack that. Well, we're going to unpack that tonight. Um, I just think it's so important. And as we're starting a new year, um, it's really important that we are, um, that there's a foundation that's being laid. That's what we're doing. And the foundation of the goodness of God is critical. It is, if you really, really don't have this yet, the goodness of God, the love of God, it is an absolute game changer. Without that, you're going to constantly be striving to be good enough, to hope that maybe he likes you on a good day, you know? And that's just a terrible way to live, and that's not how he designed you at all. And covenant, I would say, is is equally as important to, that you understand uh, what covenant is. He's a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God, but what does that mean? And this is, again, another game-changer. I know for me, this last week, um, because of what I was speaking to you, what I love about being a preacher, first of all, I get to choose a lot of the things that I get to talk about, which is kind of fun. But also, what I say to you, I get to hear, and I get to put it into action as well. All week long, um, I have. I bet you, this is not an exaggeration, 50 times a day at least, uh, every day this week, I've been saying, Jesus, I'm one with you, one spirit, you know, just over and over again. And and uh, don't underestimate that um, that talking to yourself thing, because you're not really talking to yourself. You're talking, you and the Lord are talking. But there's something about verbalizing over and over. It's just getting in deeper and deeper and deeper, even if, even if you're not feeling, you know, the warm fuzzies or whatever. But to say, Jesus, you and I are one. There is no separation. I'm one with you. Our spirits are one. All the things that we brought up last week, I've been just saying over and over and over. It's been so rich and good. And so I want to encourage, because we're going to, even if you're a person here tonight and you've, you've said, well, I've heard you, Brent, I've heard you talk about covenant before. First of all, I haven't talked about it for a while. But also, to me, I just cannot get enough of the truth. And, and in studying this, like I came out of, of uh, my room, uh, I think it was last night, and I just said to Suzanne, oh my gosh, this is just going deeper and deeper. It's so good. And I'm like, I have no idea how to, how to actually condense this for tomorrow as I preach it. I, you know, but, and so we just started getting excited about the goodness of God and the covenant of God. So to me, it's never something we, we got down. You know what I mean? Like we just get more and more excited about the truth. So here we go. And, and let's just pray for a moment. Because we don't get anything apart from grace and apart from the Holy Spirit's help. So Holy Spirit, would you, would you bring truth deeper into our hearts? Would you help? We're just inviting you right now. Go ahead and bypass our intellect. 
Not that we don't use our intellect, but go ahead and bypass that and go straight to the heart, your spirit to our spirit, one spirit intertwined. And Lord, convince us of truth. And uh, Lord, take some things deeper tonight than we've ever seen them before. And, and I pray, just as happened with me last week, that what happened with each person here, there would be little seeds planted that they would take with them and just those seeds would start to you know, germinate and grow um, the more they agree with truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, uh, I want to talk about the Father's covenant of amazing grace. And what's interesting, even the title here, I said the Father's covenant. Usually when we think about the covenant of grace, we think all about Jesus because he's the one that came you know, and died for us to, to enact this grace covenant, which we're going to talk about. But it was the Father's plan that Jesus partnered with. And I want to make sure we understand that because otherwise if we just think Jesus, you know, grace is a Jesus thing, We've already kind of missed that Jesus came to show us the Father, right? And, and uh, so the, the grace was the Father's idea. And I want to start at the end of where we're going today. We're going to end with communion today. And I want to start with that and, we're, and bring it all the way around full circle. So Jesus, um, this is him, uh, Matthew 26, with his disciples just before his, his death. He's, he's cluing them in about, about this new covenant. He says... Uh, Jesus took the bread and blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said to them, this is my body. Eat it. And then taking the cup of wine and giving uh, praises to the Father, he entered into covenant with them, saying, this is my blood. Each of you must drink it in fulfillment of the covenant. For this is the blood that seals the new covenant Now we know something new. He's telling them there's something new. It will be poured out for many for the complete forgiveness of sins. So that's a huge part of the new covenant. So we're going to go back to that at the very end. But I just wanted to remind you, Jesus was letting his disciples know, his followers, um, that his death was unto something. And it was unto inaugurating this new covenant. So let's talk about it. Um, The word covenant in the Hebrew is barit which is translated as a contract or agreement between two or more parties, okay? But this word, this Hebrew word is derived from a root, which means to cut, which is taken from the reference of cutting animals into parts with the covenanting parties passing between them to show the seriousness of their agreement, as in, may this happen to me if I don't hold up my end of the bargain. Now that's, pretty serious stuff. We don't, I'm kind of glad we don't, you know, we're in the new covenant. We don't do these kinds of things. It's a little, I noticed I didn't put a picture up up there for you. Some of you are really visual. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, But it really did happen. And in fact, we're going to, we're going to see in a moment with, with Abraham, um, this is where in, in Genesis 15, this is where God did exactly that and cut animals between as he made a promise, a covenant with Abraham, basically saying to him, I'm going to make sure this happens. But normally both people walk through the middle saying, you know, we both have our end of the rope, our end of the bargain. Not in this case. It was only the Lord, his spirit, was the one that went through the middle of this. Meaning this was God on both ends of the bargain saying, I'm going to make the covenant and I'm going to fulfill it. Are you cool with that, Abraham? That's a pretty good bargain, don't you think? So let's look at that. 
Here it is. This is in Genesis 12. Um, I'm condensing all this way down, but just to give you an overview of covenant. This is God's covenant with Abraham. He says, follow me and I will make you into a great nation. This is a guy who has no kids. Remember, he's, you know, 90-ish, no kids. God says, follow me. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will exceedingly bless and prosper you. And I will make you famous so that you will be a tremendous source of blessing for others. Right away, God's showing him, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. Does this sound familiar to you? Because we're, this is, I will tell you already, we're in this covenant still. This one he made with Abraham, we're in this. It says that um, through you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham obeyed Yahweh and left. He said, follow me. He's like, okay. Any of you ever have this experience? You just get a sense you're supposed to go somewhere. You don't even really know where that is. But you just do it. And here it is in the, in the New Testament. where I'm going to look ahead to Hebrews, which is the New Testament, looking back at Abraham, at, at this old covenant. And it says here in Hebrews 11:8, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed the call to set out for a country that was the inheritance given to him and his descendants, and that he set out without knowing where he was going. You all are in such good company. All the times you have no idea where you're going and what's, what's happening. Lord, I know something good is happening because you told me that. I just don't see it or don't get it yet. Yeah, that's kind of... A, a pretty common story with God. Now, let's go back to the covenant. Going back to the covenant with God, with, with Abraham. This is now Genesis 15. This is, this is later in time. And Abraham start, Abram, before his name changed, but Abram was starting to have uh, some questions like, God, I don't get it. I don't see it. I believe you, but I kind of don't. Um, and, uh, and it says here, I say... I, and, he says, I, I, I'm going to say, the reason why I said that I, I believe you, but I kind of don't, is because that's actually what's true. Abraham had tremendous doubts. It's just that what I love about God and about the scriptures, when you look at, check him out in Hebrews 11, it says, man, this great man of faith. And you're going to see in scriptures, you know, he just believed. It doesn't say anything about his doubts whatsoever. Does that give you a clue as to what God sees in you? And also when he says, I remember sins no more, he actually means that. Isn't that amazing? Your, God's story and yours are completely different. And one day in heaven, you're going to see. You're going to see that his story about you, and you're going to think, where was the other part of that story? He's like, I don't, didn't see that part. It's not what I chose to see. So, so Abraham has, Ab- Abram, Abraham has some issues, and, and he starts to bring them out to God. So then, immediately, the word of Yahweh came to Abram. I will give you a son from your own body to be your heir. Gaze into the night sky. Go ahead and try to count the stars. Your seed will be as numerous as the stars. And Abram trusted every word Yahweh had spoken. And because of his faith, Yahweh credited it to him as righteousness. Now, I'm going to fast forward now. I'm going to keep, there's such a theme in Scripture of uh, of covenant and 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 Abraham is actually woven all the way through scriptures through the old and the new testament. I don't know if you knew that. But here it is in the new testament in Romans 4. And this is Paul describing. He's looking back at at Abraham the the father of our faith. 
And, and Paul says, we call Abraham father, not because he got God's attention by living like a saint. You guys getting this? God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in Scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as a father of many peoples. Abraham was first named first, named father, and then became a father. Before I go on, this is, this is how the Lord usually works in our lives. He declares something. Sometimes it's something we just know in our know, or sometimes it's a prophetic word somebody gives us, or it's, or it's clarified many times by others. We start to get a sense of who God says we are, of what he says we're to be about, what he's going to do in our lives. And then doesn't it seem like it just takes forever for a lot of those things to come to pass? It does in my life. When God told me 30 years ago that his spirit was going to sweep through this valley, we were going to see massive revival. I just thought he meant like next week, you know? And here I am 30 years later. I, as Bill prophesied earlier, it is closer than ever. And as I told you many times in the last few months, God told me again, the harvest is coming. Align your heart with me. Don't you dare think that this isn't going to happen because they're coming. My kids are coming in. So get ready. And, and, but, you know, we hear these words. That's just a little inkling of some things God's told me. You hear those words and you think it's going to be now or yesterday or, you know, tomorrow. And, and, um, but, so he says to Abraham, or Paul's talking about Abraham, isn't it true that God said, I set you up as a father of many peoples? Uh, I'm the one that named you father and then, be, and then you became a father because he, Abraham, dared to trust God to do what only God could do, raise the dead to life. With a word, make something out of nothing when everything was hopeless. So when, when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. I'm, we're just going to declare this. When everything is hopeless, I will believe anyway. Let's say that again. I think God's liking this. This is called faith, by the way. When everything seems hopeless, I will believe anyway. Yeah. And Father, thank you that even when we say we believe, that faith, even that faith isn't ours. It's a gift. Everything in the grace covenant is a gift. We believe through the actually the belief, the faith you've planted right inside of us. We lack nothing. Thank you. So Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And I'm telling you, this is everybody's story in this room. We've all got struggles. We all have things we're waiting on. We all have promises or things that we don't understand. And there are things that we can't do in our own power, right? Things that we, we've tried all we know, every trick in the trade we know to try to turn something around. And then after, at some point, we realize, oh, God, you know what? This is something you're going to have to do. And so then we come into that place of trust. God, I trust you. You're good. 
So here's more in Romans 4. Abraham never stopped believing God's promise, for he was empowered in faith to father a child. Empowered in faith means it came from God. The faith came from God. He was empowered in faith to father a child. And because he was mighty in faith and convinced that God had all the power needed to fulfill his promises, Abraham glorified God. That's what glorified God was the fact that Abraham believed him. The gospel is so simple. It is about faith. It's about believing God. And when we believe him, that actually says that glorifies God. God, how can I glorify you? Just believe what I say. Isn't that awesome? Ah. So now you can see why Abraham's faith was credited to his account as righteousness before God. In the next few verses. And this declaration was not just spoken over Abraham, but also over us. Didn't I tell you this covenant is not over? We're in the midst of this covenant still. I'm going to explain that more. For when we believe and embrace the one who brought our Lord Jesus back to life, perfect righteousness will be credited to our account as well. Perfect righteousness when we do what? When we believe that Jesus really is the Savior, that the Father really sent him, that he really died for us, paid a price that we could not pay, that is credited by God to us as righteousness. That's what makes us perfectly right with the Father. That's it. There's nothing else you can add to that. Nothing. Jesus was handed over to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins and was raised back to life to prove that he had made us right with God. Now, there's another covenant, and that is the one that God made with Moses. This is a legal covenant. So if you look at it this way, if you look at Abraham's covenant way back, and and here's Jesus, and here we are, we're in the midst of this really long covenant, and God is a covenant-making and keeping God. This covenant he made with Abraham is still going on today, right? He's blessing all the nations of the world through Abraham Christ was his heir. You can read all about this in Galatians. And through Christ, it was opened up to all the nations. Every family on the earth gets to be blessed through Abraham by the Father so long as we believe. That's it. That's what's credited to us as righteousness. So look at this as one, as one huge covenant, one huge long forever covenant. Or Yeah, it was going to be forever. And in the middle of that, is this chunk of, of time with Moses where God makes a legal covenant with the people of Israel, the law. And so usually when we talk about the old covenant, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about Abraham's covenant that's still going on. We're talking about the law. Okay? I'm just trying to explain that so you get it. And this is, I, I you know, this was, uh, you can read it from Exodus 19 to 24, but I condensed it down to this. God says in that covenant, I will be your God, you will be my people. If you obey everything I command, I will bless you. If you don't, I will curse you. Yikes. God established it, and the people entered in by agreement. You can read all about it. They entered in. Yes, Lord, we will obey. We'll do what you say, because we want to be blessed by you. But we know through history they never could. Now, why? You might be thinking, why? You know, why, why would this happen? And um, my, 
This is what I would, would tell you, that this was the inevitable result of Adam and Eve eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, Adam and Eve, seduced by the enemy, traded intimacy with God for rules, for um, deciding for themselves what's right and wrong. In other words, they didn't need relationships. They were cutting that off. We got it from here. We're good. Now, that God is allowing this to carry on to its inevitable conclusion. It's not, it was not his heart. That was not his heart. That was, that was, I'm going to say it this way. It wasn't his best plan, though, though it did not catch him by surprise, of course, because we know that before even the world was created, Jesus was already slain for us. That makes no sense to our brains. It just means that God's outside of time and none of this caught him by surprise. So he was already bringing us back to himself. He already knew Jesus was coming. This plan of the law, this covenant, which could never be kept, and God knew that, was, was a way for people to see the futility of separation. Like, it's never going to work. You be good enough on your own so that you can make it, you know, you can make it to heaven. So you can be good enough so that God will accept you. It just won't ever work. And he knew that. That's why he had the sacrificial system, so that actually at least people for a while could get some relief from all the guilt and the shame that was piling up. I was thinking about this this week. We can't even begin to understand what an old covenant, law covenant mindset, how, how debilitating, how destructive, how weight... Uh, the weight of, the, of, of everything on our shoulders. We can't even begin to understand. And you know why? Because anybody in this room who has accepted Jesus, you all know that when you fall short, and you have fallen short, all of us have, that, that when, when we come to our senses, we run to Jesus, we repent, which means we turn away from the things that are not who we are. We turn back to the one who loves us. Do you know that that guilt and that shame, for most of us, doesn't haunt and haunt and haunt and haunt us? It doesn't. Think about this. In, in, you know, when, when, when we turn to Jesus and all of a sudden we get that overwhelming sense again of love and approval and acceptance. And if you haven't experienced this, you need to. The love, the, the acceptance, approval. Suddenly that thing that seems so ominous is, is departed, is gone. But in the old covenant of the law, it wouldn't have been gone. And once a year, you know, the, the priests come in and they have this sacrificial system. That was just a gift of God to give them a little bit of a reprieve from the weight of the guilt. We don't even know, honestly, in Christ, we don't even know what that is. That the miracle of being in Christ means we don't even have to, we don't even have to experience that. And uh, Job 3.25, uh, I put that up there for the thing I feared has overtaken me. I want to tell you that that right here, um, if you, if you uh, obey my commands, I bless you. If you don't, I will curse you. I want to I tell you something, because when we read this, we can get a really bad misconception of who the Father is. I want to tell you, first of all, that God, God never wanted the people to be afraid of him. That was never his heart. That he's still not. That he's still not... The fear of the Lord, the way that the scriptures to talk about it, that's, that is like the childlike awe and wonder. And yes, it can drive us to our knees at times in, in just sheer love and appreciation and gratitude. The awe of the Lord is real. 
the fear, that fear of the Lord. But he does not want us to be afraid of him, as in that father that's about to come down and, and smack you, or who's going to cut himself off, uh, a parent that cuts themselves off because you haven't been good. That is never our father. And, and so he did not want separation from the people. They're the ones, the people, the Jewish people, who he said, I will bless and not curse through Abraham. They're the ones that said, we don't want anything to do with you, God. You, you scare us. Moses, you go talk to him. Do you know that that broke his heart? That was not, that was not his, he loves his kids. That was not the plan. So Moses goes up, Moses comes back, and the very thing that they feared overtook them. In other words, if in your fear you see God as this terrible you know, punisher, the very thing you fear is the very thing that opens the gate for the enemy to come and bring on the very thing that you're fearing. It is, it is, it's very true. Um, and so that's why we have to really pay attention to the things that, are, that we're afraid of and bring those to the Lord. He is, he is so full of love. So, so here's this law covenant which, which the people could not keep, and God knew that. But he was setting them up for another covenant that was to come. And that is the, the, the covenant of grace. So now we're going to shift gears, and I'm going to show you later how this fits in with the, the covenant of the law. By the way, I understand t- this is a lot tonight. I get it. And believe me, you, you would not believe how many slides I cut out. Meaning I was getting into this because it is such a huge theme throughout scripture. It is a huge theme. And, um, but I also know that this is my chance to kind of give you the, uh, an overarching just appreciation for covenant. So don't worry. I'm just like giving you a permission not to worry about whether you're, you're getting all the facts right. This is more for your spirit to get the, get the truth of covenant. Okay. So what's the new covenant of grace? God says, I will bless you because it's my desire and my choice to bless you. That's, that's grace. I will do for you what you couldn't never do for me or yourself in a million years. Your sins are forgiven. We just read that, right? Your sins are forgiven. I will never again remember them. Jesus took the judgment and curse from you forever. I make my home in you and I share my one spirit with you. There is no separation ever. You will never die. This is the grace covenant. Who would not want into this? And this is, and this is why later on um, in, in uh, Second uh, Corinthians, where God says we're ambassadors, he was like, he's saying through you, please, please go out and tell people that the Father wants them, that please let them know how good I am. Please let them know this is the covenant. So the benefits, what are the benefits of the new covenant of grace? Uh, You are part of God's family, his child. You belong, and that's not just now. That is forever. Because the moment you said yes to Jesus, you already crossed over from death to life. You already began your eternal life. The moment that God in his grace lets you know that Jesus was real. He really is our Savior. He really did die. My sins really are forgiven. He really was buried. He really is alive. When something in you 
When you got that, that was a gift from God. That was grace. And something in you said, yes, this is true. And when you said yes, guess what? Your eternal life with Jesus started right then. You will never die. You have direct access to the Father all of the time. By the way, yeah, do take a picture of this if you want, because I don't have, I told you, this is a quick overview. I don't have time to go into these scriptures. I just wanted you to show you it's all there. You have direct access to the Father all of the time. All of the time. You say, no, my, my sin separates me. No, that is an old covenant, law covenant truth, not a new covenant grace truth. You've got to know the difference. Otherwise, you start believing in something that's not true, that you're separated, and if you believe it's true, guess what? You start feeling it. The very thing you fear overtakes you. Might you watch your fear? I'll be separated. That very fear of separation starts to overtake you, even though it's not real. Isn't that, isn't that bizarre? But this is why we have to know the truth, because the truth sets us free. You are forgiven, and you are free. God is working on your behalf all the time. You are blessed. You are highly favored. You have God's entire inheritance now. And I believe me, we're all still getting, you know, we're all still coming to grips with what that really means. But we have it now, not someday. We have access now. And this is, this is things like, this is things like hope and love and grace. It's also things like power for your own healing and to reach out and to, to touch others and they're healed. I mean, it could, we could go on and on and on, but all the inheritance is now. Now, where do we get this? I want to show you. First, we're going uh, to go back to the Old Testament to a prophet, Ezekiel, who, um, who was looking ahead at this new covenant. Even though they were in the old covenant, he was looking ahead to the new covenant, and he said, this is... God speaking through Ezekiel. So God says, I will sprinkle you. Even though this is saying, I will do it, we're now in it. Everything I'm reading is what we are in right now. I will sprinkle you with clean water, and you will be clean. Do you remember Jesus' words? You are clean already by the words I have spoken over you. Do you see how Jesus over and over was fulfilling everything that's in here? So I will sprinkle you. God says, Father, Yahweh says, I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be clean. I will wash away all of your dirtiness and you will be clean and pure, free from the taint of idols. I will plant a new heart and a new spirit inside of you. I will take out your stubborn, stony heart. I will give you a willing, tender heart of flesh. You know that heart that makes you cry sometimes and you don't know why? And you're in a movie and all of a sudden you think about God and you're weeping? That's because he put that heart in you, this soft, tender heart that loves truth and that loves him. And I will put my spirit inside of you and I will inspire you to live by my statutes and follow my laws. There it is. So we're not saying God, what, when we're saying that the old covenant of the law will, will never make you right with God, we're not saying that God doesn't care about your holiness. He cares so much that he put his Holy Spirit inside of you. He wants his kids to shine like the stars in the universe. We're, we're to be so, you know, but we're to be so in love with this one that chose us and that wants us and that we're in covenant with that our whole life just simply reflects Christ in us that's, that's just pouring out to the world. So, so yes, it's, it's all about holiness. 
But it's not about self-effort. It's about Christ in you, the hope of glory. So here's, an, here's another one that's just showing by scriptures that this new covenant is real. This is Hebrews. Hebrews is a great book to read if you want to learn about more about covenant, especially about chapters 8 to 10, right in there. By his one perfect sacrifice, remember I told you that the priests had to do it year after year, but by his one perfect sacrifice on the cross, Jesus made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. What a statement. Did it just say that for real? <laughs> by his one perfect sacrifice, Jesus made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. That would just be a great thing for you to repeat often. I'm telling you, because the enemy wants you to believe the exact opposite. And the more that you trash yourself with trash talk that is the opposite of what's true, it starts pulling you in a direction that's not who you are in Christ. You are a new creation. The old one is gone. It's not even alive anymore. So actually Romans 6 says we're not even supposed to give that old self the time of day. This is how completely new we are in Christ. The Holy Spirit confirms this to us by the scriptures. For the Lord says, afterwards, I will give them this covenant. And this is the one we're in. I will embed my laws into their hearts and fasten my word to their thoughts. And then he says, I will never again, I will not ever again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. He will not remember it. So if our sins have been uh, forgiven and forgotten, why would we ever need to offer another sacrifice for sins? We cannot. What would be, we're not in the sacrificial Jewish law system, so how would we be offering another sacrifice for sins? Well, that would be things like, Lord, I'm going to make a promise with you that I'll never, ever, ever again. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm not interested. Don't, don't be making me promises so you're trying to add something to what he's doing. All he says is, believe me. Christ is in you. My holiness in you. Come back to the truth. I, I spoke to several of you last week when I was praying for people. And, and uh, be, because there's this struggle going on uh, within us of, we know this is true, and yet when our lives start reflecting something else, we say, what is wrong with me? And I was telling each person that was up here, I said, I said, don't focus on trying not to sin. It's a really bad focus. Because, because that's actually not even what the gospel is. The gospel wasn't given to you so that you sin less. This may be news to you. Because a lot of times that's what this is reduced to. If you're a really good Christian and you really get it, you'll sin less. Bummer if that's your definition of what the gospel is about. Because the gospel is about falling in love with Jesus, who made you one with him. You, you co-reign with him. You're, in, you're seated right now at the right hand of the Father with Christ in the heavenly places. That's in Ephesians 2. I'm not making any of this up. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. And in that place, when you know who you are and you're with him, you start living a Jesus life. You just do. He just saturates you. Do you still forget who you are at times? Yes. But you know what I told these people last week? I said, if you'll stop trying not to sin, and instead you turn around and, and look at the beauty of the Lord and, and ask him, would you tell me again who you say that I am? And you listen to his heart over and over again. Maturity in Christ doesn't mean that you never fall. Maturity in Christ means that the lag time 
between you forgetting who you are and, and, and looking and just trying not to sin, making that the deal, and then turning back to the one who loves you and remembering who you are, that lag time shortens, 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 so that it could, it could last just seconds. It could last moments before you're like, this isn't who I am, and you're right back to the Lord. That is maturity. And this is what God sees. And you might be thinking, I am such, I'm just going to use street words, okay? I'm such a dirtbag because, because I'm just, you know, I'm doing things that are, that are just not, not God. And this, I feel terrible and slimy. You know, the longer you stay in that place and say those things, you're keeping yourself right there. And instead, you, you turn back, Lord, this is not who I am. Tell me again. Tell me again. Oh, Oh, you're my very good father. Oh, I am your loved son. I am your loved son. You love me. You love me. What do you say? You say I'm royalty. You say, you say that I'm holy. You say that I'm righteous. And Lord, you didn't even, you've already chosen as we turn back, you've chosen not to remember the things that were not representative of who we are in Christ. And instead, somehow you attribute righteousness to me because of my choice again to believe you. Isn't that crazy amazing? I just wanted to demonstrate for you what it actually looks like. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not like, you know, going in the gutter and just telling yourself a hundred times you're a terrible person and God, I'll never do this again. That's not repentance. Repentance is remembering who you are, turning back to the Father who loves you. Amen. So we enter into the covenant of grace. How? Agreement. Believing God. And when we do, we become one with him. So if you're one with him, where does that put you? Put you smack dab in the middle of his heart. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I talked about the oneness of the three for you know all of eternity one and loving each other and then wanting to bring us into that so there's father son holy spirit all loving each other with a deep pure love and then we become one with them where does that put us we're smack dab in the middle of this of this love thing this really pure love fest that it that never ends that's where we are now i could end right here and that'd be pretty good but my question is 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 this true or is it too good to be true is there a confusing contradiction? The reason why I'm bringing this up is because there's a lot of things in Scripture. You could, you could listen to everything I just said and go, yes, Pastor Brent, this is true. Thank you. Amen. I feel so much better. And then you go away and you read something else or you hear some teacher on YouTube or you whatever, and you're like, oh, crud, I don't even know if I'm saved, you know? Um, and so I want to show you. So I'm going to bring up the contradictions for you, all right? And then I'm going to give you actually a solution of why you're seeing some contradictions. So if you've never heard this, I think this will really help you. So first of all, I'm going to look at Paul. Remember when I say Paul, I'm talking about the apostle. This is the guy, remember, who was killing Christians. And then he, I mean, he's not a nice guy, right? And Jesus encounters him. He has this blinding seeing Jesus thing. Suddenly he comes out of that and he is a lover of people and he's telling everybody about Jesus. We want to talk about complete transformation. So this Paul, this Saul to Paul, this is who is writing all these letters to the churches as he goes around and, and on these missionary journeys. He says, listen to what he says in Ephesians 2, 
verses 4 to 8. Paul says, But God, being rich in faithful love, through the great love with which he loved us. That's three loves in ten words. Even when we were dead in our sins, he brought us to life with Christ. It's through grace that you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and gave us a place with him in the heaven, in heavens, in in Christ Jesus. This was to show for all ages to come through the goodness towards us in Christ Jesus, how extraordinarily rich he is in grace. Because it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. That means believing not by anything of your own, but by a gift from God, not by anything that you have done so that nobody can claim the credit. We all know this scripture, but I wanted to show you this because if you look at something Jesus said, there seems to be two very different things going on. Jesus, in Matthew 5, 19 and 20, says this, Therefore, if anyone infringes even on one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be considered the least in the kingdom of heaven. But the person who keeps them and teaches them will be considered great in the kingdom of heaven. Sounds a lot like law to me. For I tell you, if your righteousness does not surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Bummer. You're like, I thought Pastor Brent said we were good, and now I'm not feeling it. Before I tell you some of the whys, let me do another contradiction, seemingly. When asked, what must we do, must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to the rich young ruler, obey the commandments. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Follow me. There's the the obeying the commandments right there. And then for this particular person, I want you to sell everything you have. Um, By the way, because I'm going to look at what Paul says in just a minute, but I do want to remind you already this has everything, I'm going to tell you in a minute, this has everything to do with the audience he is speaking to. And that there are other times where when Jesus is asked, what must I do to do the works God requires? His answer was very different. The works God requires is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Period. Why, why does even Jesus seem to have contradictions? Really good question, Pastor Brand. Really good question. I'm just, okay, just, just saying. Here's what Paul said. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is from Romans 10. Paul says, declare that Jesus is Lord. That'd be believing, right? Believe that God raised him from the dead. No one who relies on this will be brought to disgrace. Yea, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right? Before I relieve your tension, I'm going to do one more contradiction. Here's another one. This is an important one. Jesus said, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Yay. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. I've heard a lot of different teachings on this, but you can't really get around what he says right there which is it seems to be extremely conditional that you're only forgiven if you forgive if you forgive others. That's very conditional. I sure hope then that I've forgiven every single person, right, before we start going down that road, like, oh, boy. 
Yet Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now that is entirely different. That's the covenant of grace, which is you did nothing. God came and got you. He, he, he convinced you of the truth. He forgave you. Right? He forgave you. That's what he did. And then he says, now I want you to be my spirits in you. Like I have forgiven you, be like me. I want you to forgive. This is your life. This is what you do as a follower of Christ. Now, I'm going to once again use this phrase. I'm not going to explain this too much. But Jesus is making really crystal clear again the inevitable result of Adam and Eve eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If we're going to carry this to its conclusion and you have decided that you are going to try to be good enough on your own, then let's carry this thing out because you're going to see this doesn't work. I'm going to, I'm going to, you saw this. I'm going to skip the rest of this just because of time. So now let's start, let's start to relieve some of the tension or explain it. I don't, know if, I don't know if we can ever relieve all the tension in the kingdom. I, I think there's reasons why there's tensions, you know. But anyway, so first thing I want to tell you is just, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but Jesus was alive as a human in the time of the Old Covenant. His entire life, he was alive in the Old Covenant of the law. Have you ever thought about that before? Right? We don't, we don't think about that. But it's true, how we read in, in Hebrews 9, that, that like a will that takes effect when someone dies, the new covenant was put into death, put into action, sorry, at Jesus' death. New covenant started when? At Jesus' death. This is not a trick question. I just told you the answer. I just wanted to see if you're awake. <laughs> it's not, I'm not going to trick you. The new covenant of grace, every, all the good stuff we just talked about, it started at his death. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. But that means his whole life was lived in the old covenant of the law. That's very important information. Wouldn't you agree? If we're trying to look at this, if this is a little mystery, that's a really important piece of information. Here's another one. I'm sorry. So I'm going to first of all talk about, I'm going to tell you about why his death was so important and started the new covenant. The only way that the law covenant could, be, could end and the new covenant of grace would begin is that that old covenant law had to be fulfilled completely. Um, earlier I, I mentioned about the word berit and I said to cut. Remember, with, and, and may this happen to you if I don't keep my end of the bargain, right? That's how serious God keeps commands. Till death do us part. You ever hear that in any covenant ceremony you can remember? Maybe at least in movies, okay? Um, so that's what this is about. It's like God cannot go back on his covenants. He will not. So therefore, the old covenant had to be fulfilled. Guess what Jesus did? He kept every single law for each one of you in this room. He did it for you. Jesus, as God, came as a man. And as a man, as a human being, he fulfilled every, he kept every one of those laws for you. Check. Next one. One, or in this case, both parties of the old covenant had to die. Till death do us part. 
So God came and God died. This is how the new covenant could, the only way it could start. This is amazing. God's not going to go back on his word ever. He has to play by his own rules, if you will. He's not going to go outside of what he said. But then, what's more amazing, because you'll read this in different scriptures, it says that when you became one with Christ, you actually became one in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. Paul says it this way, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, which means what? All of humanity died with him. Man, I'm feeling Holy Spirit all over this because this, this is the only way that old covenant, the law covenant, in the midst of this good Abrahamic through Jesus covenant, the only way the law covenant could end was that it had to be fulfilled, check, Jesus did it, and the parties had to die, check, we died with Christ. Guess what? We are now alive to one covenant only, and that's the covenant of grace. Amen? That's just great news. So let's go back to those contradictions. What, Brent, tell me more. Why the contradictions? Remember, another piece of this mystery. Jesus was here to reach the Jews first. He was, because God didn't forget that he said to Abraham, you know, and I'm going to start this nation, and it was the Jewish nation. He wants them in on this. He, want, he says, I'm going to come to you like I told you I would. I'm going to bless you. So Jesus is reaching out to the Jews first. I have come to save the lost sheep of Israel. Why is this significant? Because the Jewish people were, were still bound to this law covenant that could not be kept. Jesus is asking them this question basically in a bunch of things he's saying to them. How high can you jump? Any high jumpers here? I was in high school. That was a long time ago. Right now? Right now? Catch me. I was, this is just my quick funny aside, but I was, I was actually a very late bloomer, which means when I, when I was a freshman in high school, I was 5'2". Believe it or not, I'm six feet now. So I did a lot of late growing. And the reason why I say that is because when I was 5'2 as a freshman, I could high jump 5'6". I could high jump over my height. Okay. Enough, yeah. Bragging doesn't work when it's that many years. So, yeah, so. So how about you? What have you done lately? <laughs> okay, back to Jesus. Um, how high can you jump? Meaning, oh, you've got, you think, you, you Jewish nation, you think that this is the bar of God's righteousness. You think if you can hold, carry, you know, somehow keep all these laws, you're going you're gonna to be able to jump high enough. And Jesus is trying to push this bar about a mile upward and say, you have no clue the holiness of God. Your system is broke. It ain't going to work. And he tells them this in many different ways. But what he's doing is setting them up for grace. He's setting the Jewish people up for grace. Do you remember? We, we read about the book of Acts this last year a lot, right? And in Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Spirit, 3,000 were added to that day. That was almost entirely Jewish people. That was mostly Jewish people who were coming into the kingdom. And guess what? Many of them had been around Jesus 
and kind of wondered, what is he talking about? Because he kept giving these clues. Do you remember when he, when he met with Nicodemus in the middle of the night in John chapter 3? Have you ever thought about what's not? I, I think all the time about what's not in the scripture, what's not in that story. But do you understand that even though Jesus told him about being born again, do you understand he never actually led him into that opportunity? He couldn't. He hadn't died yet. They're still in the old covenant. He cannot tell them anything else other than, hey, it's really good news, but we'll just put a pause button right there. Because he was, he was reaching the Jewish people to let them know their old covenant law thing isn't going to work and that there's this new thing coming. It's called grace. And we read in Acts 2, every one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That every, and that very day, 3,000 were added to that number. That, for Jewish believers, was a new thing. What to us seems so normal was new. You be baptized, and guess what? All of your sins are forgiven. Are you kidding me? Here's another clue. Jesus was very compassionate with the Gentiles. We see this over and over, but that, Mark, that passage in Mark, that's the paralytic um, being lowered down from the rafters, right? And Jesus says to them, seeing their faith, Jesus says to the paralytic, my child, your sins are forgiven. Did you notice what's not in that story? That person never asked for forgiveness. Never even said, oh Jesus, I'm a sinful person, forgive me. Jesus, who is perfect theology of the Father, Jesus says to this person, I forgive your sins. He hasn't even gone to the cross yet. But it's already, it's already the Father's heart. So he already knows. He has the authority to do this. It's crazy. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm seeing, I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. I really am. Because um, we're going to take communion in just a minute here. And I know, like I said, I know this is a lot of info. Thanks for hanging with me. This is what Jesus said to the Jews about their religious leaders. This is Jesus talking to the Jewish leaders. I'm putting all the pieces together now. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees occupy the chair of Moses. You must therefore do and observe what they tell you, but do not be guided by what they do since they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy burdens. They lay them on people's shoulders, but will they lift a finger to move them? Not they. What he's saying is, I can't you who are in, you Jews who are in the legal system, I can't tell you not to obey the law because I haven't died yet. But I can tell you that, that these leaders who are really making you feel guilt, heavy, laden, weighed down, uh, this is not God's heart. It's all going to change soon. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So... This, can, this is going to tie it up a little bit. Galatians 5. Let me be clear. The anointed one has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. I, Paul, tell you, if you think there is a benefit in circumcision and Jewish regulations, then you're acting as though Jesus, the anointed one, is not enough. I say it again emphatically. If you let yourselves be circumcised, you are obliged to fulfill every single one of the commandments and regulations of the law. If you want to be made holy by fulfilling the obligations of the law, 
You have cut off more than your flesh. You have cut yourself off from the anointed one and have fallen away from the revelation of grace. I want to be careful that you understand, even Paul's not saying you're now going to hell. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is in, in the mo- anytime we want to go, and we all do this at times, anytime we go back to judging ourselves, regulating how we think we're doing, wondering if, we're, if God accepts us or not, we, we're falling into the legal system. And once we've done that, we are no longer enjoying the new covenant of grace. It's, it's not even a reality in that moment because our, our brains and our souls are going somewhere else. But the Holy Spirit convinces us that we have received by faith the glorious righteousness of the anointed one. When you're placed into the anointed one and you join to him and you're joined to him, circumcision and religious obligations can benefit you nothing, not a All that matters now is living the faith that is activated and brought to perfection by love. I'm going to, I told you I had a lot, and it's all so good. Here's Abraham again in Galatians. Here's what it looks like if you want to go back to your old ways. And here's Abraham again in Christ. You're just getting the uh, the visual. I will read this to you because it's so good. This is a book I'm reading uh, lately called, uh, from Danny Silk called Unpunishable. And just listen to this quote. Shame is the fear of disconnection. Remember I told you the thing you fear will overcome you? One of the reasons why we deal with shame is you have to understand what shame is. And if you, if you allow this into your life, it starts to really destroy things. Shame is the fear of disconnection. It's the fear that something we've done or failed to do, an ideal that we have not lived up to, or a goal that we have not accomplished makes us unworthy of connection. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable because of something I've done. And God says that's just not possible. I've made you lovable. Jesus is taking care of this. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. So this whole book, by the way, of course, it doesn't just tell you the problem. It actually helps you through it. So you just might want to read this. It's an amazing book. There are times when we all feel like we don't belong, that we shouldn't be in heaven with Jesus, but our Father has always wanted us. Jesus established the new covenant of grace that makes us truly belong forever. And that's going to take us back to communion. And um, that was a lot. That was a lot. And Lord, we, um, I thank you, God. This, even, even what I shared tonight, Father, this... You don't, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. You're not going to grade us like, you know, there's no curve. Like, oh, shoot, some people know the Bible better than me. He's like, yeah, that's, it's not how much information you know. It's really not. It is about, it is about, Father, about getting your heart and believing your heart. And so, Father, we believe that you're good. You're always good. We believe that we are your children. We are your sons and daughters who you love. We believe that you've given us your spirit, that we are one with you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And this is why Jesus asked us to take communion. I want to ask of the people that are going to pass out communion would go ahead and start doing that right now. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to pass out a a cracker and some uh, grape juice. And the kids are going to come back in and, and celebrate communion with us.
And I will, um, I'm going to ask if you're able, you know, to, to hang on to both of them. And the reason why is because I, I kind of like to take them close to each other where there isn't all this stuff going on in between, you know. Um, to me, the, the, just taking the bread and the juice together are just so, so powerful. You know, one, right, one closely after the other. Um, so, yeah, they're going to pass that around. Just, take, just go ahead and take that, and I'm going to continue on here. Um, so this, again, is where, where Jesus, um, you know, he's meeting with his followers, and honestly, um, his followers don't know the depth. They, Jesus has alluded to his death, but it's really obvious from the scriptures they still don't get it. They don't get that he's, they're not about to see their friend and mentor and um, discipler. They're, they're not going to see him uh, again alive in his body. They don't really get that yet. And um, Jesus, in his kindness, is is trying to to kind of uh, prepare them for it, but he doesn't kind of he doesn't outright say super clearly. But we know that, you know, <laughs> Peter, for example, when when he uh, you know starts to when when they come and get Jesus, you know, they come for him uh, on on the, at, at Gethsemane, and Peter, you know, takes his knife out and cuts the guy's ear off. He would not have done that had he thought the plan was Jesus was going to die on a cross. Peter still thought, we're going to fight this thing out. We're going to win. Maybe he watched, you know, enough war movies and <laughs> he got courageous and said, we're going to take him down, Jesus. And Jesus said, yeah, don't, why don't you put that back? Um, there were many times when Jesus had to say to his followers, you don't know what spirit you're of, right? When they're wanting to curse and call down curses. He's like, yeah, we're not doing that. Even though they had some Old Testament examples, right? But this is going back and telling you this is a new covenant. And by the way, when it says that, we're, that we are to keep um, his commands, he's going to put his spirit in us to keep his commands. Jesus simplified things quite a bit, didn't he? He said, I have one new command for you, one command, to love your neighbor <laughs> as yourself. A new command is love one another as I have loved you. That's the new command. Love one another as I have loved you. And Paul later says, if you do that, you're actually going to keep all the commands. Because you, if you love yourself, you will actually take care of yourself. Meaning you will not make the choices that destroy yourself. And if you understand that we are one with the Lord and we're one with each other, you'll also understand that your actions impact a lot more people than just yourself. And when you start realizing that, again, not with guilt and shame, that's not what I'm talking about, but I'm saying an awareness that we are actually, we, the Bible says we belong to each other. We're not just brothers and sisters. The Bible says we belong to each other. That means what I do impacts you. And out of my love for Jesus and my love for you I, and my love for myself, I start, I start to make some different choices. I start to um, appreciate myself and, and love you enough to, to keep your world um, in a safer place by my own choices. Does that make sense? It's, pretty big. it's a pretty big deal. But the motive is entirely different. It's not about you trying to earn your way into heaven. You're, you've already started your entire life with him. All right, I think we're getting real close here. 
And so instead of rereading the scripture, I want to, um, we're just going to stop and we're going to say, thank you, Jesus, that, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, that you came and lived the, the perfect sinless life. You fulfilled the regulations of the law for us. And then you came, Jesus, and you died. And then later when we said yes to you, somehow, in some way, we died with you so that that old covenant is gone, gone, gone. All that's left is our new creation that we are in Christ. And so we're going to take, in just a moment, we're going to to, um, eat of the body of Christ together. This is from Hebrews chapter 10. It says, And now... We are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus, and he welcomes us to come right into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, boldly and with no hesitation. For he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to the Father. So as we take the bread together, we just say to you, Jesus, we thank you for your body being torn for us, and we accept the free gift of full access to our Heavenly Father. Amen. Let's eat together. Yeah. Lord, we taste and we see that you are good. You are good. You are good. We are so blessed. And as we drink the cup together, I want to read this first. And since we now have a magnificent king priest to welcome us into God's house, we come closer to the Father and we approach him with an open heart, fully convinced by faith that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. For our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove impurity, and we have been freed from an accusing conscience, and now we are clean, unstained, and presentable to God inside and out. Let's drink together. And I'm going to ask, this is the last thing we're going to do. I want to ask you just to, for a moment, um, just to stay in this place and receive. I'm going to ask Shannon to come up. And she's going to read something, the heart of God, over you. Dance with me, my beloved. Dance with me in this new journey 
Come, let me show you what you will see. Silence no more. You will hear my roar through you. You will feel its vibrations and power. What I have to say will bring change in you, around you, and beyond you. Hearts will wake up to the reality of what the kingdom of God is all about. Hearts will wake up to the truth of who he is and what is spoken in his word. Every heaven-to-earth song that is sung will shape the foundations that are not mine and strengthen the foundations that are mine. What I will bring to the table, you will be able to feast upon it and partake of it in partnership with me. My heart and my passion are for you, my treasured ones. My favor upon you is more than you will have ever anticipated or hoped for. As I dance over the mirror of lies from the enemy, I will shatter into a million pieces without, without the power to put it back together. The mirror I hand you is full of truths and what you see is who you really are, lovely and precious, a child of God that I call mine. Full length to be able to see us dancing. The new dance I breathe upon you. I am not one who wears the facade of the beast, but the truth of my glory is being revealed as you learn to love me as I am. The lies painted me as a harsh and hateful father, but love paints me as a gentle and loving one. That is who I have been all along, but your circumstances often muddle the picture that is now being made clear. For my healing truth will obliterate the lies and preserve the truth which you will see. When you look at yourself in the mirror, I have just given you. I am putting on you glasses in which you will see my heavenly perspective. You will come up here and see from my perspective what I see. The strategies are my gift to execute at the right time by my word and my word only. Fresh bread, fresh wine, brand new wineskins to be filled of me. At the table where my feast is laid out, you will find your place and you will taste and see that I am so, so good. Everything I have planned since the beginning of time has been implemented in its perfect time and will continue to do so. I trust you, my daughter, my son, to trust me. I am perfecting your voice to roar my name, your vision to see my purposes, and your ears to hear what I have to say to my beloved bride. The dance is made perfect because you are in me, and I, as three in one, is in you. The flow is smooth because you will lean into my heart and embrace intimacy with me. My friendship with you is eternal, my joy unstoppable, and my grace overflowing. You will never be half full 
or half empty, but always overflowing with my love. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. This is that all we were talking about, Father. The, the good fear of the Lord. Just childlike wonder. How could this be? How could it be this, this good? Father, who's always wanted us, we belong to you. And so, Lord, I am right now declaring... Um, your freedom over every person in this room and wherever, whether it's been the enemy or, or just uh, our own wrong thinking, Father, I, I cancel any of the, of the curses of, of ways of thinking, of shame, of things that have, have just uh, robbed us of the truth, of the joy of belonging to you. And I thank you, God, that because we belong to you, life is good. Life is good. Or we don't understand it all, but life is good. And you've given us your love to love people with, to make a difference. And that's really what your kingdom is about. It's about love making a difference everywhere we go, no matter who we're with. So thank you, God, for that grace. Thank you for the covenant of grace. Thank you. This is a covenant that will never end. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Just all of a sudden feeling so much joy of the Lord over you. So much peace and joy in this room. There are angels that are here. For sure. Earlier when we were worshiping, I, I, um, it was that last song that Sierra led us in, and uh, I saw us in this room as part of a huge grandstand. I mean, ginormous. I don't know if it was millions or billions of people, saints, that were in this huge stadium-like atmosphere, uh, worshiping the Lord. This is what we're part of, friends. We're part of something so big, so big. 